a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Twenty twenty three. Three PM North American Eastern Time, four PM in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, four thirty PM in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, eight PM in London and Dublin, nine PM in Paris and Berlin, ten PM in Kiev and Tel Aviv. 11 p.m. in Moscow, 11.30 p.m. in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone. 1.45 a.m. in Kathmandu. For all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 4 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers. Sorry about that. 7 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne. 9 a.m. in Auckland. Rather more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeree. And even deeper into Thursday in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Great to be back with you for our last show of November. I'm a little vocally underpowered today, as you can probably tell, a bit fragile uh, voice-wise. But I'm going to do my best to hang on till the top of the hour. 60 years ago today, November 29th. 1963, a week after the assassination of President Kennedy, his successor, President Johnson, established the Warren Commission to investigate what happened and close the book on all the conspiracy theories. Uh, seven days ago, you may recall, I said I would um, expect the anniversary observances to be muted lest they benefit JFK's nephew and current presidential candidate, RFK Jr. 
the first Kennedy uh, these last 60 years of whom the American media institutionally disapprove. I didn't know the half of it. Uh, RFK, as you'll know if you've uh, heard him on our show, regards himself as the heir to his dad and his uncle Jack, although one notes uh, not his uncle Teddy, who is conspicuous by his absence from RFK's effusions. Um, and I, I think it's more than just RFK. I think both the Dems and the media are consciously drawing a line under Kennedy-style liberalism. Give it another year or two and they'll be toppling his statue. It's the Christmas season at Stein Online. Check out the Stein store. We've got lots of fun stuff for your kith and kin this Christmas, including, of course, the Prisoner of Windsor, which is proving highly prescient all the way down to a throwaway gonorrhea joke in the final chapters, which I see from the Daily Mail today appears to have come true. Uh, we also have the limited edition Stein Online Liberty Stick. I sign a number each one and all proceeds go to support the ruinous costs of the man versus Stein case. The trial has been rescheduled for January 16th at the District of Columbia Superior Court. So one way or another, we're going to get this done. Oh, and uh, don't forget the ultimate Christmas present for your loved one, a stateroom on the Mark Stein Caribbean cruise. A week of sun, sea and civilizational collapse with Ava Velarding broke, Conrad Black, Leilani Dowding, Bo Snardley, Michelle Buckman and more. Uh, go to MarkSteinCruise.com for more info. And we don't cancel any of those people. Poor old Ava. Uh, was supposed to be in Ottawa. I think it's uh, tonight or tomorrow night. And uh, they cancelled on her and Christine Anderson uh, at the last moment uh, just to screw them over. You, you know my thesis. We've been arguing about it here for over six years now. The last photocopier in the woods. They're determined to keep any dissenting viewpoints, dissenters from the uniparty viewpoint, the narrow bounds, tighter than the, the tightest corset in which you're permitted to discuss public affairs. And if you try to loosen the stays and go beyond the bounds of the uniparty corset, they're determined to keep you off TV, off radio, off screen, off stage till you're just standing around in a clearing in the forest, reading the stuff from the last photocopier in the woods. Nevertheless, I said earlier today that I was in quite a good mood, so I might as well tell you why. First, with every passing day, I think that the Irish response to the stabbing of those schoolgirls by an Algerian Muslim is the healthy one. I know they keep saying, oh, he was an Irishman, Irishman, just like Patio Peatbog. Sharon, be Jesus, I'm just going out to stab some schoolgirls. Uh, he's not. He's from Algeria. He was ordered to be deported 20 years ago. He never got deported, and he's been uh, up on knife crime only five months ago. Uh, so I thought the Irish response was uh, the healthy one. Whereas the French response to the stabbing of its children by other, oh, here's a surprise, by other 
North African Muslims uh, is a psychologically unhealthy reaction. Oh, stab our kids and we'll hold a limp weeny passive peace march that tells the stab set that we are a defeated and beaten people. Resign to our fate and you can stab us with impunity. Although even in France, it was good to see when they dispatched the relevant French minister to that village, it was good to see that they despised him utterly. Um, the Irish were expressing their anger, not just at the Algerian stabber, but at the decadent and corrupt political class that serve as his enabler and the enablers of the next stabbers which will be along any day now so it's good to it's good to express your anger at those guys it's good to raise the price for them of keeping on with this stuff so let us increase the price for our rulers of these massive, uh, the, these mass immigration, abusive mass immigration policies. I saw some piece in The Spectator today. You know, I still read that. I wrote for The Specky for whatever it was, 20 years, and I still check in with it once in a while. There's a piece today by Ross Clark that is uh, a quarter century behind reality. And that's the supposed conservative press in Britain. Anyway, so I was happy with the Irish reaction to what happened. Another reason I'm happy, Hidfielders and his party won the Dutch election with a way higher percentage than any of the runner-up parties. It wasn't even close. Um, and last week, I hadn't really fully digested the implications of this, both for Meneer Wilders and for me personally. As some of you know, a couple of years back, Hit did me the great honor of asking me to write the introduction to his book. The book is called Marked for Death, not only because the same Muslim imperialists who killed uh, Theo van Gogh also wanted to kill Mr. Wilders, uh, but so in large part did the Dutch state and the Dutch media. A government-run radio station released a film called The Assassination of Heert Wilders, and everyone thought that was a grand laugh. And yet Heert is not assassinated. He's not dead. He survived and he prospered and he won the election. That is great. Um, as for me, as I said, I was honoured when Hit asked me to do the introduction for that book. As you know, I regard myself as a pretty mainstream guy. I've been invited to Buckingham Palace and the White House. Uh, but ever since the Canadian uh, quote-unquote human rights cases, certain people, awful people, like the execrable Bernie Farber of the taxpayer-funded Canadian Anti-Hate Network, have done their best to, quote, denormalize me. And that has an effect on your average squishy, finger-in-the-windy, risk-averse politician. Uh, for example, my own former senator, Kelly Ayotte. It's apparently a tradition that when you're invited to testify to the U.S. Senate, your own senator is there to greet you and usher you into the world's greatest deliberative body. Uh, but Senator Ayotte's Vast bloated entourage decided it might not look right if she was seen with me at the Senate, so they nixed that. Uh, Kelly's uh, risk aversion subsequently caused her to distance herself from Trump in the 2016 election, which worked out swell for her. She lost her Senate seat 
and is now a highly remunerated lobbyist on the boards of a dozen companies. And that's fine. If you regard elected office as a low-paying internship for a lobbying career, she's a great success. But Hitfielders is not a pitiful, craven nothing like Kelly Ayot, and he's just demonstrated you can ask Mark Stein to write the intro to your book and still win the election in an advanced, settled Western democracy. So I thank him for that. In the words of the famous motto of the SAS, Britain's Special Forces, who dares wins, in contrast to the famous motto of Kelly Ayotte, who, do, who, who, who doesn't dare loses. <laughs> okay, uh, that's enough of me and uh, Kelly Ayotte. Let us get to, do we have any questions? I'm trying to see where the... Uh, Questions have gone. They must be around here somewhere. Uh, and we shall get to your questions. Where are they? Oh, yeah, here they all are. Um, just uh, as I said, I'm a bit vocally underpowered and apparently mentally underpowered too. Glenn Flint says, optimistic Mark Stein, who are you? And what have you done with the real Mark Stein? <laughs> just kidding. Hope your optimism is contagious and spreads across the airwaves to your loyal fans. Yeah, because we have to change people's minds very quickly. And it is fantastic uh, that you can take Heard Wilders, far-right Heard Wilders, oh, extremist uh, Heard Wilders, fascist Heard Wilders. He was banned. He flew to the United Kingdom for uh, the showing of his film in the House of Lords at the invitation of a member of the House of Lords, and Heathrow Airport deported him uh, basically as a, a national security threat. And the Dutch electors uh, last week said, up yours, British immigration, to that. The UK immigration won't let in hit Wilders, but every night they will let in uh, hundreds and thousands of people uh, who want to get mixed up in crime, uh, who want to get into sex slavery, and want to stab your kids. And UK immigration is fine with that, but they're not fine with Hit Wilders. Up oh, yours. I can't wait to see what happens when Prime Minister Hit uh, has to uh, attend some summit with Rishi Sunak or whatever boob replaces Rishi sooner rather than later. Anyway, I'm getting carried away here. What, what, what was Oh, Glenn, Glenn Flynn continues, regarding your trial in the festering cesspool of the DC Superior Court, how has your opponent financed his prolonged lawfare? By this time, wouldn't man be brokier than thou? This is Michael E. Mann, creator of the global warming hockey stick. Do college professors make more money than a world-renowned video poet, author, and TV and radio raconteur? Are US taxpayers subsidizing man's attack on free speech? Or do global warming research grants buy lawyers to persecute deniers? Uh, looking forward to the next Mark Stein Cruise. Can we get a group together for Liberty Stick Shuffleboard with man pucks on the Lido deck? Yeah, that's our cruise in February in the Caribbean. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know whether uh, we depart from a U.S. port, so you might have to go through some security stand manned by the TSA. I'm not sure how that works. 
on the cruise ships. But if you can get a Liberty stick on board, we might we might well do that, Glenn. As far as, look, I don't know. I thought at first that he was being funded by various people. But, you know, the case has been going on for 12 years and it's hard to find people willing to fund you for 12 years. And I look at the behaviour of man's lawyer, John Williams, and I think he took this case on a contingency basis. That's to say you don't divvy up the cash until you've won the case. Um, and that's, that's, that probably seems like a swell idea if, you're, uh, if it's whatever, what year was it again? 2012. Um, but, but, but by the time you get to 2015, 2016, 2019, 2024, which is when the trial will be, uh, it's probably not a good idea. So I, one of the reasons why uh, I, I think why that I, I detect, I probably shouldn't even be talking about this kind of stuff, um, but I detect that Mr. Williams has his own interests. He obviously doesn't want to settle because then he gets zip. Uh, so I think not only is he planning on uh, taking this all the way to trial, but then if he loses at trial, he'll appeal, and uh, then it'll be another half decade, because uh, that's the world's slowest appellate court. Uh, but also, I think if he wins, he's going to appeal, because he wants to go to the appellate court to get National Review and the Competitive Enterprise Institute back in the case. Because after 12 years of litigation, uh, I haven't got $20 million to give him, which is what man wants. And, uh, and uh, he, so he's going he's gonna to want to get more parties back in the case to get the 20 million bucks from. So this thing, you know, it's a dis... I mean, look, you don't need me to tell you, you after what the judge signed off on in the Trump case in January that's just been leaked today. It's all vile. It's all garbage. It's all a per perversion of justice. So I, th I think my, my sense is that... Uh, this guy, Williams, took the man case on contingency. Keith Hay says, as the Scopes trial of the 21st century is nigh upon us. You know, we did that joke back in 2012. <laughs> uh, and it seemed pretty funny at the time, except that the Scopes case came to trial in nothing flat. At a speed, nothing comes to trial in this wretched evil system. Um, uh, but Keith continues, as the Scopes trial is nigh upon us, what are your thoughts on the recently revealed missing proxy series of MBH-98 reverse engineered by Hampus Soderqvist and extensively reviewed and commented on by Stephen McIntyre uh, over at his climate audit website? Yes, you know, I said... I testified uh, under oath that I said, when you look at what the errors in man's work and how he doubles down on them, then it becomes impossible uh, to think that these are innocent errors. And I mentioned, I think, the three Finnish scientists, and uh, he used their data upside down. You know, in other words, it showed a huge V pointing upwards, and they turned it from a a mountain into a huge hole. 
And uh, when they pointed that out to man, he ignored them because he thought they were a bunch of Finnish nobodies. They were very distinguished Finnish scientists, far more distinguished than he is. And then uh, and doubled down on it. And at that point, they said this cannot be innocent. And there's a, another example of that, it, you know, in in uh, if you go to Steve McIntyre's site and you have a look at it, climate audit, uh, it, it's, it, you know, you need to know a, a bit of what he's talking about, but not a lot, because basically he's talking about proxy series that are uh, that man said he used but didn't use, uh, said he didn't use, but turns out he did use, you know. Uh, and again, the whole thing, I mean, again, it goes to, and I don't want to give this away because it will come up to, uh, you know, come up in cross-examination, but I don't believe this can be uh, innocent. Jamie Marsh says, hi, Mark. While Hed Wilders and Javier Millet, that's the Argentine guy, are both good victories, I feel more confident that Javier Millet will be able to affect change in Argentina than Wilders will in the Netherlands. Argentina has been a financial mess for so many years now that maybe people there will be more open to drastic change. And unlike the Netherlands, he won't have to cobble together a coalition government with partners that despise him. What are your thoughts? I think it's certainly... well. You know, the reason for that is it's easier to do it in a it's easier to change course in a country like uh, Argentina, which, uh, you know, ha has a history of uh, authoritarian and strongman government and is more susceptible to that. Its problems are not the same as the problems of North America or Europe, where you have the whole uniparty thing, where which we were talking about earlier, the the corset within which uh, respectable politics is supposed to be conducted. Um, they don't have they don't have the tight stays in Argentina. I'm warming to this metaphor a bit too much, aren't I? Um, uh, but I think that's generally true. And I think that the, the, the coalition that he puts together, he has to be very careful, even if he can find enough people to get him over the line uh, and form the government, he has to be extremely careful that those people aren't there to subvert him, which you have to bet they would like to do, some of them. I mean, there's other people in some of those parties who might actually think, oh, you know, the the great the great thing about this is I don't have to keep uh, tippy toeing around certain things now. Hit won the election. His he's more popular than any of the other party leaders. So why don't I sort of nudge a little bit towards him? There will be some of that from some backbenchers, but but right now the the whole thing doesn't matter whether you're talking about Trump. Trump the entire. The If you don't like the term deep state, I called it for a while the permanent state. They determined to destroy him. <clears throat> and one and one half political parties, which is to say everybody in the Democrats and then, you know, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell and co uh, in the uh, Republicans determined to destroy his presidency. And this, by the way, is in a system without coalition government without multiple parties. And the same thing happened with Brexit 
I mean, I, I don't regard myself as a genius. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I find it hard to do the false modesty without laughing. Um, <laughs> but the interesting thing about when I wrote Prisoner of Windsor, for example, I obviously, I wrote that <clears throat> before it became clear that Brexit was being entirely nullified, not just by the European Union, who did their best to destroy it, not just by the government in Dublin, which had their own reasons for wanting to destroy it, but also by virtually the entirety of the British civil service, uh, British judges, uh, and the entirety of the House of Lords, and actually the subversion of Brexit, which is a theme in The Prisoner of Windsor, and the imposition of a fake Brexit. Uh, none of that was clear at the time I wrote Prisoner of Windsor, and is actually... Uh, it was actually very cleverly anticipatory of what has happened uh, since since then. So uh, that's the thing. They 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 the the permanent state, the uniparty, doesn't want you out of the corset. I promise I'll give up on this metaphor uh, after this. They don't want you getting out of the corset. They want that corset tighter and tighter and tighter. And they will try that with uh, Heert Wilders because they know they succeeded with the Trump presidency and with um, and, and with Brexit. Chris Davis writes, Mark, I hope you are well, all things considered. It uh, said uh, says an awful lot uh, about the direction of travel in Ireland when oh hang on a minute I've lost your uh, I've lost your uh, letter now I'll have to vamp till ready uh, where where's it where's it gone uh, oh, uh, I'll get it back sorry I'm a bit uh, technically inept today. But I'll find it. Just uh, talk among yourselves. Maybe uh, sing a few of your favourite. Do a couple of rounds of Jingle Bell Rock or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, when Conor McGregor is under official investigation. It says a lot about the direction of travel in Ireland. When Conor McGregor is under official investigation for Mangada Shahona over his comments in relation to last week's stabbing of children by an Algerian quote unquote Irish citizen. Are the Gardaí, uh, that's the Irish police, for those of you who don't speak Irish, also investigating the Taoiseach, that's the Irish Prime Minister, for those of you who don't speak Irish. <laughs> Leo Varadkar, for misrepresentation, for his comments about the return of the missing, not kidnapped, the missing Emily Hand, by Hamas. This was actually quite disgraceful. And actually, the fact that the pansy Dublin media won't even hammer Varadkar for this, he referred to, this is how enthrall uh, the uh, Irish are to the, their Palestinian fetishization. Emily Hand, little girl, kidnapped, Irish citizen, little girl, kidnapped by Hamas. And he couldn't actually say 
that she was kidnapped by barbarians and was now released. He said she was lost. Emily Hand was lost and she was now found. Don't you find that quite common if you're, say, a Jewish family motoring through Gaza and you stop at a pub for lunch uh, and your little girl goes uh, off uh, to the ladies' room and all of a sudden she's lost? And then you have to try and find her. It happens all the time in Gaza. It's, I didn't think my contempt for Leo Varadka could get any uh, higher or lower. But I mean, this kind of dishonesty uh, does a huge disservice um, to uh, political discourse because it, of its patent dishonesty. And actually, once she's in safe hands, he should be outraged that a citizen of uh, that that a citizen of the Irish state is seized by barbarians. She wasn't lost. For God's sake, man up or piss off out of there. Um, Chris Davis says continues. It seems to me that Ireland is turning into a free speech graveyard in a censorious onward march towards dystopia. Not that the UK is immune from such tyranny when the far-left organisers of an anti-Semitism march can dictate whether Tommy Robinson can attend without being pepper-sprayed and charged with failure to disperse. He is now facing a custodial sentence, i.e. behind bars, in January. That cliff edge draws ever closer. What say you? asks Chris Davis. Yes, if you haven't seen this, 20 copper, you know, <clears throat> uh, I tried to make a difference on GB when I was on GB News. It's one reason why I enjoyed doing the show, because we talked about things that other people weren't talking. I mean, they were talking about it on the Internet. You could say, oh, yeah, if you go into the dark web, you can find. But they weren't talking on it to, uh, 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 to Fred and Gladys on mainstream British television. And so we talked about the COVID vaccines and we talked about the industrial scale rape of little girls up and down uh, the spine of England in almost every town you care to name. And we talked to the victims of those crimes and we invited the useless chief constables who'd let their men cover up those crimes. They never had the guts to come on, awful people. Uh, Tommy Robinson, whatever you feel about him, Tommy Robinson was on the right side of that issue. Now, um, uh, Chris Davis talks about the far left organizers of this anti-Semitism march. I don't know whether they're far left, but they're what I called or and Ezra Levant called when we ran into difficulties in Canada, the official Jews. And the official Jews of the Jewish organizations in Canada and the United States and the United Kingdom, uh, have sat by as uh, all Western societies have degenerated into the... People say, oh, this is worse. This is the worst anti-Semitism since Hitler. It's worse than that. It's worse than that. You can say what you like about, you know, some middle-class German guy who doesn't want to pipe up about why his uh, Jewish neighbours in the place next door are apparently uh, closing up and heading out. Because he did not have the imaginative capacity to imagine that the most civilized state in continental Europe would kill six million people. 
He lacked the capacity to imagine that because nobody had ever done that before. Uh, we don't have that excuse because we know that it happened. Uh, and so we don't, we don't have the excuse of some middle-aged German who doesn't particularly like Jews and thinks it's uh, much better now that at his favorite restaurant, the Jews don't get all the best tables. Uh, we know that uh, the Germans killed six million. Uh, and so we don't have the excuse that fellas had in the 1930s. But here's the thing, the official Jews have been on the wrong side of this. Uh, on the oh yes, you know as I've always meant I've already mentioned Bernie Farber, but he's the guy who was schmoozing with Karam Awan, one of the litigious Muslims who sued me and McLean's. They're backslapping. I think the video's still on the internet somewhere. They were all backslapping and whooping it up uh, because they're you know he, he his he's so stupid. He's so stupid, that head of the Canadian Jewish Congress, that he thinks importing uh, millions of Muslims into Canada is going to work out great for Jews. Now, they're not quite that stupid, the fellows who organized the anti-Semitism march, but they wanted to make it uh, primarily because uh, a lot of Jews vote for the Labour Party. They wanted to make it a, a moderate and centrist event, so all the celebrities would come uh, along. Even low-grade, useless, minor political celebrities like uh, GB News's latest fantastic signing, Boris Johnson. And so they didn't want Tommy Robinson there. Now, that's fair enough. It's a march. It's a march through the streets. The streets are public streets. If you're marching through a public street, I don't see why some guy who's standing on the corner can't just say, oh yeah, this looks good, and join in. Uh, but instead, at the behest of those guys, the coppers, and I don't even know, here's the thing. I don't, these are these invented offenses that in America and Britain are becoming very disturbing. Uh, basically, they can proclaim him a threat to public order. He's not the threat to public order. 20 coppers jumping him in the street and pepper, pepper spraying him in the face are the threat to public order. Um, but it, it's quite disgraceful what happened to him, and it's quite disgraceful the way uh, even, as I said, even the so-called conservative media feels they, this, this is basically, you know, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. They don't even need to do that now. Just show me the man. He is the crime. Whatever Tommy Robinson does is the crime. And this is rubbish. As for Ireland, I'll just make a quick point here. Um, Ireland is sinking into an ugly authoritarianism. Now, if you know the last century of Irish history, uh, since the inauguration of the Irish Free State, um, De Valera had authoritarian tendencies. I don't think there's any, I don't think even fans of Dev would argue about that. But he basically built uh, the Irish state in his image, and it endured really until the early years of this century, virtually unchanged. Um, but here's the thing, his authoritarianism was directed in the interests of the majority of Irish people uh, within his uh, jurisdiction. Um, and you can see, uh, basically, he basically 
the Irish found themselves uh, running a state that came into being into opposition against the previous 800-year regime. And so uh, for de Valera, the whole thing was about shoring up majority identity, which is Irish and Catholic, right? So you can complain about uh, the authoritarianism of someone like de Valera, but it was at least uh, in the uh, an authoritarianism in the interests of the majority he, uh, uh, he was governing. What we have now is far more bonkers than that. Basically, uh, under Varadkar and all the other fellas, uh, we're now getting an authoritarianism that's against the interest of the majority Irish Catholic population and instead operates in the interests of approved minority interest groups. And, you know, as Chris says, he does a comparison with Britain. Uh, but you can do a comparison with Europe. You can do a comparison with whoever you want. That basically we are in a we are in a weird situation where Western governments uh, are are uh, getting more and more authoritarian and crushing more and more basic liberties because they are at war with the dispositions. Uh, of increasing numbers of their own citizenry. Uh, that's, I think, the, that's how I, my take on the uh, uh, Irish uh, uh, situation uh, as it stands. Anyway, let's pause for a brief musical interlude. I'm a little late getting to it because I went into a bit more detail than I should have on uh, the last century of the Irish state. Um, but uh, yesterday, uh, I don't know whether you saw this, a lot of other things happening, but Marley the elephant died at the Manila Zoo in the Philippines. She was a gift to the late first lady of the Philippines, Imelda Marcos, the lady with all the shoes. Uh, apparently she didn't just like shoes, she also liked elephants. So this was a gift to her from the government of Sri Lanka. And initially, Marley the elephant had to share the zoo with another elephant, uh, Sheba, who abused her terribly. But then Sheba died and life improved. And for over four decades, Marley was the only elephant in the Philippines. Uh, she is dead at the age of 49. So I thought in her memory, you're going to love this. Uh, I would play a few elephant songs, which means I can't ignore this one. Generations of children throughout the British Commonwealth will know every word. But if you're American uh, and have never heard it before, but you are of a certain political disposition, you will be singing along with the chorus instantly. <laughs> circus came. They brought an intelligent elephant and Nellie was her name. One dark night she slipped her iron chain and off she ran to Hindustan and was never seen again. said goodbye to the circus off she went with the trumpety trump 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 nelly the elephant packed her trunk and trundled back to the jungle off she went with the trumpety trump trump 
trump, trump. The head of the herd was calling far, far away. They met one night in their silver light on the road to Mandalay. So Nellie the elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus. Off she went with a trumpety trump, 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 trump. circus band when Nellie was leading the big parade she looked so proud and grand no more tricks for Nellie to perform they taught her how to take a bow and she took the crowd by storm Nellie the elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus off she went with a trumpety trump 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 Nellie the elephant packed her trunk and trundled back to the jungle. Off she went with the trumpety trump, 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 trump. The head of the herd was calling far, far away. They met one night in the silver light on the road to Mandalay. So Nellie the elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus. Off she went with the trumpety trump, 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 trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. He should use that as his campaign theme. Donald the elephant packed his trunk and moved right back to the White House. Off he went with a trumpety trump. Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh, that was Mandy Miller, an English child star of the 1950s, uh, with a song by Ralph Butler and Peter Hart. Peter Hart wrote a number I very much like, Meet Me on the Corner. I remember talking to... Max Bygraves and Jeff Love about that hit. And Ralph Butler wrote The Sun Has Got His Hat On, a great song which has become uh, problematic, as they say. A long-time BBC disc jockey got fired for playing it a couple of years back. Uh, but Mrs Butler and Hart teamed up for Nelly the Elephant, and over the decades, the royalty statements from around the Commonwealth have proved pretty elephantine. It's an enduring artefact. Do you know who produced that track for Parlophone Records? George Martin, pre-Beatles. So if you're thinking, hey, this magical mystery tour stuff is pretty wild, what else did this George Martin guy produce? The answer is Nelly the Elephant. Elephant songs on Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A. It's a new format, nothing to do with the Republican Party. We're not going to offer equal time and do donkey serenade next week. Here's a, a different sort of elephant song. Belongs to a kind of vaguely drippy subgenre of soft rock that was popular in the 70s and early 80s. I'm thinking of things like just When I Needed You Most by Randy Van Warmer. Uh, by the way, for you dads out there, never let your daughter go to the prom with a Randy Van Warmer. Uh, this song was never actually a hit, but a lot of people sang it. Bobby Goldsborough, Cilla Black, Roy Clark, Sir Terry Wogan. Because they thought it was almost a hit and all it needed to make it one was their own tonsils in front of the microphone. This was the original version, Gene Cotton. I remember the day we had an 
We went down to the city zoo Just to kill an hour or two Out in the good sunshine But we had so much fun We were glad that we came We fed all the animals And gave each a name Didn't even mind when it started to rain We had a real good time But now that it's over And you're far away I miss you more with each passing day All my friends sympathize and say You'll forgive in time, yes you will Give yourself a little time But it's already been well over a year And just in case you're interested you might like to hear How everybody's doing down at the city zoo Without you Well the monkeys forgot you And the hippo forgot you And so did the kangaroo me and the elephant, we still remember you. Me and the elephant, we'll never forget you. Well, I wrote to Ann Landers and dear Abby too, and sought their advice as to what I should do, and they said everything that reminds me of all have to go So I burned all your pictures Except two or three The one by my bed And one on my TV And the one that I always carry with me Everywhere I go And today was so nice And since I was in town I thought I'd take the opportunity To go down And see how everyone is down At the city still remember you Me and the elephant will never forget you The rhino forgot it, the zebra forgot it, the polar bear and tiger too, but me and the elephant we still remember that song. Gene Cotton sang it Benny Whitehead wrote it. We played it to mourn the death yesterday of Marley, the only elephant in the Philippines. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It's a quarter to nine Greenwich Mean Time, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Let us get back uh, to your questions. And uh, Diane Oliver. Uh, Diane Oliver says, Hi Mark, I do hope you're feeling a bit stronger. I realise at this point it's probably academic and so appreciate you might not want to address it, but do you have any explanation for why the West, once so alive to the danger of Islam, decided en masse to open our doors and encourage them in? Why, just why did they do this? Uh, Idaho Bob on the same theme says, in the past, you've mentioned an executive in the news industry who was predisposed towards a borderless world. 
Uh, I'm not sure they aren't mostly. You know, one of the problems with Fox, for example, is that it's not terribly interested seriously in uh, the questions about immigration. It's because Rupert Murdoch is generally uh, an, an open borders kind of guy and indeed his flagship newspaper in America, the Wall Street Journal, is famously an open borders newspaper. Uh, Idaho Bob says, perhaps it's because I've read your books too many times, but I can't quite grasp that perspective, particularly since Europe is encountering exactly what you predicted. Can you describe the benefits from their point of view? How can they not imagine the expanding societal conflict when those cultures clash in everyday life? Did they understand that many of those crossing the border would arrive with limited skills to support themselves without public assistance. Well, there's a, it's it's the great question of our time. You know, I would. Here's the thing: we need parties that. And this is true in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K., in Australia, in Europe, who just say, uh, "No, we don't want any mass immigration. Uh, no advanced society needs mass immigration." Uh, the great question is, what are we going to do with all these people uh, once, you know, you know, we make economic reasons. And again, this is the difference. We make economic reasons uh, we, for why uh, we need these people. Nobody thinks of himself as an economic unit. Uh, so you can say, oh, as they did in the uh, 50s and 60s, and you, oh, we need bus drivers. And we need nurses. But a, a bus driver doesn't think of it. If you import a bus driver uh, from the Sudan, uh, who's a Muslim, he doesn't think of himself as a, a bus driver. That's not the essence of his identity, driving buses. The essence of his identity is that he's a Muslim. So they, they imported all these people to come and work in the mills and factories in northern England, say, and the mills and factories closed anyway, but the mosques and madrasas stayed. And that should tell you something. I'm so bored with homo economicus. You know, these guys who think that, oh, well, if we do this and if we do that, we'll increase GDP by whatever. The, the, they calculated the difference. It's a statistic in uh, Christopher Caldwell's book. Um, the difference that economic difference that mass immigration makes, and it boils down to, he he worked it out. It boils down to point oh 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 oh. I I can't do all the O's because I've got vocal problems. It's irrelevant, and everybody would be prepared to give up much a much bigger percentage than that just to get their bloody countries back. You know I. Uh, we saw a dub. It was in Dublin. It was in Dublin this week, but it, and it was in Crepol in La Drôme in France the week before. It's going to be everywhere. That village in France is a village of five hundred people, and they still got stabbed. You can't find a village small enough where you're not going to, at some point, have these guys coming in and laying down the new law. Now, Diane says, well, people were, the West was once so alive to the danger of Islam. That's when, uh, what, what's happened since then is that 
uh, our leaders have got a lot more stupid. I often use the phrase maxims of prudence because you used to hear it a lot at one time. It was it was the first duty of statecraft is not to do anything imprudent. Now, suddenly deciding that an uh, homogenous society is going to become multicultural is uh, self-evidently imprudent. And uh, you can, you know, America has its myths, right? Oh, we're a, we're a nation of immigrants. Not actually true. I mentioned this statistic before, but 30 years ago, they, they did a study and they found uh, that half the people in the country were actually descendants of the people uh, who had been there before July the 4th, 1776. In other words, if they'd um, closed the borders on July the 4th, 1776, there would be half the number of people in America as there were 30 years ago. Um, just descended from uh, those uh, original settlers. But they, in, I can understand why if you've broken away from the mother country, why you don't want to go around saying, oh, we're the British nation in North America. I can understand why, you know, that you, you, you want something else. So they invented this nation of immigrants thing, which actually... Uh, certainly until the 1965 Immigration Act isn't true. Um, as, as I said in the Monk debate, the French gave the Americans a pretty great statue of liberty and the Americans uh, nailed a totally crap poem onto the bottom of it and made it a statue of mass immigration. But uh, you can also, uh, and that idea, all oh, nation of immigrants, has, is now, oh, oh yes, uh, yes, uh, our, our ethnically homogenized Scandinavian society has always been a nation of immigrants. You know, that, I pointed out that the number of people admitted to the United Kingdom last year, 1.2 million on these little tiny crowded islands. You know, the Irish are right about that. Ireland is full. Piss off and go somewhere else. 1.2 million. That's more. That's more. That's four times as many as the United Kingdom admitted in terms of immigrants between uh, the Battle of Hastings in 1066 and 1950. So in other words, nine, that's more than... That's four times as many as nine centuries of immigration. And you can't do and, and by the way, they're even being dishonest about that because they say, oh, well, it net, it's just uh, 750,000 people. Because that's right, because you've turned your country into such a crap hole that the natives are leaving. So you lose, what, what is that, half a million English... Irish, Scottish, Welsh, and you replace them with 1.2 million people, uh, a proportion of whom are going to be stabbers, a proportion of whom are going to be child sex slavers, a proportion of whom are going to be terrorists. And not everyone, but everyone knows that in Islamic societies, it's the hardcore that makes the running. So you have all this talk about moderate Muslim. I mean, we did the moderate Muslim routine 20 years ago. And what's interesting to me is that friends of mine 
actually know how impossible it is to be a moderate Muslim. Because you wind up like Yasmin Muhammad having to leave your faith because it's simply not possible. Uh, you know, th there's lots of people who are quiescent Muslims. The old joke is that the radical Muslim is the one who decapitates you and the moderate Muslim is the one who stands there and watches. And that, so, so that's not going to be any, that's not going to be any use to you. And second, it wouldn't matter if they were the nicest people in the world, because it, at the rate, when you're bringing in 1.2 million a year, you're basically extinguishing the existing society. And as I said, I read this garbage in The Spectator by Ross Clark, who's sort of my generation of specky writer. He's been there for 30 years. And he's so out of it. And he's trying to, oh, yes, but the, the thing about it is we've got tremendous pressures on housing, but we need to bring in all these uh, people to build the houses that we need for all the people we're bringing in. And this is a conservative magazine and it's complete. Now, I'm, I'm, here's my view of the Western world. And a lot of Americans find the English rather snotty, and uh, the English find the French rather pretentious, and the French find the Germans rather plonking and humorless. Um, and that's fine. I'm not even, I don't even need to get to the third world. I'm happy for the Swedes to live in Sweden and the Danes to live in Denmark and the Norwegians to live in Norway. Mass immigration is a terrible thing. It's destructive of society, absolutely destructive. So we need politicians who are just going to say, yeah, yeah, I tell you what, you're saying under this interpretation of a 1950 convention on refugee, 1950, by the way, back in the good old days when the European continent uh, 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 owned an entirely separate continent called Africa, <laughs> and, and so it didn't matter what uh, convention on refugees it signed because it uh, uh, operated those colonies as its sovereign territory and decided who could go where. We're not in 1950 anymore. This idea that, you know, the, the, the line that the American Constitution is not a suicide pact, although oddly enough, it's looking like one right now, but nor are these international treaties. And we've got to, it's simply, it's simply absurd. We, we, the, the first thing you need to do is stop it all and then figure out what to do with the existing problem, which is quite large enough. But if you've got kids, and if you've got grandkids, here's, here's a, I'm, I'm, I'm just withering on here because we're up against a huge problem. You know, this is why the Dutch election result, you know, they persuaded 35% of the Dutch population in a multi-party system to vote for a party whose leader is one of the most notorious Islamophobes on earth. And, is, and, and indeed was kicked out of uh, the UK when he landed at Heathrow because of that. The problem we have in most, uh, most Western societies is there's half the people uh, vaguely on top of it. They're not following it terribly closely because it's all a bit boring, but they're vaguely on top of it and they're willing to support parties that want to do something about it, in part because everything is getting worse. 
Uh, and then on the other side, you have a tiny sliver of committed, motivated activists and others and globalists, the people who are the beneficiaries of these arrangements, who don't have any interest in nation states anymore, because like Keir Starmer said, uh, you know, they meet a much more interesting group of people when they're in Davos. So the, the, the nation states are just things they fly over. Um, so you have that tiny little minority that is actively in favor of this and shoving it down everybody's throats. Uh, and then you have a far larger number of people who are just checked out. They're interested in Harry and Meghan and Taylor Swift. I see uh, one of Russia's replacements was tweeting about uh, how Joe Biden had confused Taylor Swift with Britney Spears. <laughs> Actually, that's the one thing I think speaks rather well for Joe Biden. No 81-year-old guy should know who either Taylor Swift or Britney Spears is. These are distractions. You know, so we have people who are, so we have basically, you know, half the country uh, sort of is vaguely on top of what's going on and uh, finds it disturbing the way things are getting worse. And then the other half of the country uh, is just agog with Harry and Meghan and Taylor Swift and uh, exists in a sort of cocoon of blithe ignorance. Uh, and it's that, and, and, and the, the, the core, the little sl tiny sliver of committed globalists rely on that ignorance uh, to keep anybody from doing anything about it. And we have to figure out some way uh, to change all of that. I went on a bit long there. Steve uh, from Manhattan says, Mark, Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson explained his constituents yesterday that Republicans have caused all his city's migrant and other problems. He got very specific about Republicans. It's the same right-wing extremism that refuses to accept the results of the Civil War. It's raggedy. It's disrespectful. It's mean-spirited. It's an unclean spirit, quite frankly, unquote. I've been scratching my head with my personally autographed Mark Stein Liberty stick. It's good for that, actually. See, it was also good for reaching behind that bit on your back that you can never quite reach and give a scratch there too. Um, I've been scratching my head with my personally autographed Mark Stein Liberty Stick trying to figure out what all this means, quite frankly. Do we need to grab those raggedy Civil War histories and send them for a big-time rewrite? And with all these unclean spirits on the loose, does the country need an exorcism, sir? You know, uh, who was it? Rahm Emanuel, the never let a crisis go to waste guy, Steve, who, uh, who said that Chicago would always be a sanctuary city. That is uh, easy to say uh, when you're in the far north of the United States, or it was until everywhere became a border town, which is what it is in America now. I, I saw, I mentioned this on Rush, I guess it was, what was it, 10 years ago, where there were three or four tiny little towns, bucolic little towns in New Hampshire. Again, you know, about the same size as that French village, like 500 to 800, maybe 1,000 people in those towns. And uh, a handful of them at town meeting day one year voted to declare themselves sanctuary towns. And I said on Rush, I read out the names of those towns and advised the MS-13 guys in Massachusetts 
to move up to New Hampshire because uh, it it'd all work out uh, swell uh, for them there. This is uh, this is a form of uh, decadence, form of indulgence. What uh, happened has happened in the last two or three years with the complete opening of the borders and the dispersal of all these people to every corner of the United States is that, you know, the limousine liberal types, the ones who think of everything as just virtue signaling. And again, you know, it's all very well. I mean, the, the, the whole thing, virtue signaling isn't really a useful phrase because it's actually more decadent than that. Decadent than that. What you see in France and Ireland uh, this last week is that there are people who are prepared to virtue signal, who are so committed to virtue signaling that even the stabbing of their infants will not persuade them that uh, open borders is not the virtuous position. And that's what's you know that's what that's that's what's happened with all these all these. Uh, uh, guys, I mean, it, it's completely disgusting uh, because because you you basically have got a great society. You built it. You built a great functioning society, and then you think, oh, wouldn't it be great? It's great, but it's a bit boring. It'd be a lot livelier if we had MS thirteen here uh, going around. It'd be a lot easy if we had some Somalis stabbing people going around. Uh, this is this is a, a crazy and decadent way of looking at things. And, uh, and I'll add one other thing too. What are you talking about the Civil War for? You've got no future. America's kaput. You've got no future just in the degenerate. There's no politics in America anymore. You don't, it's not politics when you're prosecuting the leader of the opposition. You got no politics and you're still talking about the civil war, you stupid Democrats. Uh, you on the wrong side of that war. Uh, but fortunately for you, nobody in America remembers that. But what the hell are you talking? It, this is this is like people in the United Kingdom uh, trying to frame mass immigration in terms of the relief of mafficking or the charge of the light brigade. It's pathetic. Uh, civil war. I don't want to hear it. There's certain things. Everything in America winds up getting... I was talking about the... Uh, English and the Irish, or the Irish and the English, uh, tangentially uh, a little while back. At least that sort of evolves. This idea that everything's frozen. You know, civil war, blacks and whites. We've got to talk. So that even though you're letting in people who've never heard of the civil war, didn't know that there were slaves in America, they think it's the quite opposite. It's the great place we can just lie around all day collecting welfare. But you want to talk about the Civil War. These, this is a joke. Politics is not useful if that's the level at which it's uh, being conducted. Pete Procopio says, Mark, tis the season for forgiveness and reflection. So I decided to lift my ban on Clay and Buck's midday modern conservative philosophy and sports talkorama to find out what Conservative Inc. has the old freedom laser focused on. Nearly two hours on the DeSantis versus Newsom cage match. That's uh, tomorrow, apparently. Uh, some fascinating thoughts on the horse race 2024 and some analysis from Julie Kelly on when they will jail Trump. Fascinating. No mention 
says Pete, of the Department of Justice releasing Jack Smith's search warrant for Trump's Twitter account leading up to January the 6th, 2021. Although heavily redacted, it nevertheless proved Mr. Smith thorough as he requested Trump's tweets along with all users that he, quote, interacted with. Moreover, he fortified his application for most tyrannical special prosecutor of the year by including, quote, all advertising information and ad topic preferences, all IP addresses associated with the account, Trump's privacy and account settings, records of the account's communications with Twitter support, and all direct messages sent and received by the account from October 2020 to January 2021. While the details of this search warrant are pretty shocking, I guess they're not as important as old Clay and Buck's red-blooded all-American breakdown of Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg's analysis of how Israeli war crimes in Gaza could affect the polls a year outright. Give me a break. <laughs> And, and uh, that comes from uh, Pete uh, Procopio. And here, here's the, the problem for me. I, I touched on it. It's bad enough um, if you're actually prosecuting the leader of the opposition. But now they're actually going after uh, the leader of the opposition's tens of millions of supporters. Uh, you know... I mean, the, the, the trouble is this hasn't stopped now for almost a decade, because if you go back all those years, the run up to the 2016 election, the Democrat Party in collusion with the FBI, CIA and various others of the most powerful agencies on earth decided to subvert uh, that 2016 election. And they then invented when that didn't work, they then invented a cover story about foreign interference in the US election to distract from the actual domestic interference in the US election. Um, the interference uh, has never stopped. And in fact, it's only increased in whatever that is, the last seven or eight years. Because we learn, as you were saying, from the release of some of the other um, court uh, documents that the judge, this awful judge, signed off on, um, that, as you say, the prosecutor, Jack Smith, has ordered up data on millions of people who so much as like a Trump tweet. You got that now? You, do you remember you, you liked a Trump tweet? in uh, late November 2020? Well, uh, the uh, Department of Justice is, knows who you are and it's going to get you. Um, Jack Smith uh, should be out of a job. He's treating tens of millions of Americans as foreign terrorists. And then for the purposes of comparison, if you are actual foreign terrorists, we also learned this week, we had to learn it from a non-American newspaper, of course, uh, the Financial Times in London. Uh, but we also learned that the CIA's Associate Deputy Director for Analysis, that's her title, Amy McFadden, remember that name because she'll probably be director of the CIA, in a Biden second term, Amy McFadden reacted to the Hamas bloodbath by switching her Facebook pick 
to one of a Palestinian with a Palestinian flag around his neck, waving a second Palestinian flag. That's your CIA. And that's why I say don't wave that constitution at me because it's about as much use, in fact, rather less use than a Palestinian flag at the moment. If you wave a a Palestinian flag on the streets, if you're a Jew, they might not beat you up. Um, Because uh, I... I, um, I grew up learning about the much-vaunted checks and balances of the U.S. Constitution because my Constitution, the 1867 British North America Act, doesn't have a single check, not a solitary balance. It uh, just says uh, executive power shall be vested in Her Majesty and all the rest is whatever. That's north of the border. But south of the border, for eight years now, None of these much-vaunted checks and balances have worked, which is why tens of millions of American citizens who like a tweet by the leader of the opposition are now in the crosshairs of this, uh, this crazed prosecutor, Jack Smith, and these awful corrupt, uh, corrupt judges. And people should be talking about that, and people actually should be mad about that, because... If, you know, there's some people that all these polls are great. Oh, and isn't it wonderful? Nikki, Nikki Haley's ticked up to, oh, uh, 8% now. That's marvellous. I think it would be great if Nikki were the candidate. Uh, let's say your plans for the Nikki Haley presidency don't pan out. What do you think the Democrats are going to do? Given what they've been doing, uh since uh, Biden was installed, what do you think they're going to be doing if if he gets a second term? You know, this is this is what you have to ask yourself. Where all all this is uh, is uh, is going? Um, William Strook says, "Dear Mark, since you asked last time, I posted a question. Strook rhymes with book." Oh, did I get it wrong? I can't remember. You can't judge a Struck by his cover? Whatever it is. It's a fine Dutch name, but I have lots of German ancestry, including my great-grandfather, for whom I am named, who flew airplanes for the Kaiser in the Great War. Uh, I bring him up now. Oh, so he's like the Red Baron. Fantastic. I bring him up now because we're also Jews. My great-grandfather took one look around Germany in 1919 and hightailed it to America. Today I take a look around America and this must be what my great-grandfather saw. Jews harassed and attacked in the street and on college campuses, rabid dog Jew haters chanting against the Jews and the Jewish state and now flooding their term Christmas tree lightings. I'm not flying my Israeli flag and I don't dare put up Hanukkah lights. They're going to attack a Hanukkah celebration next, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I don't. I think you one has to be cautious about these things. Um, there was that poor uh, elderly Jewish lady in Lyon who had an identifying mark of her faith in the window of her house, uh, and uh, they managed to put her in hospital just uh, a few days ago. Um, you know, I've been writing for 20 years now, starting with Germany and France, where Jews are scared to um, 
go walk around the streets or ride the subway with identifying marks of their faith. In Toulouse, city I know well, I went and visited the uh, Jewish school in Toulouse. There's an a non-Jewish school, there's a school for everybody else that's just like a hundred yards down the road. And that's like every kid's grade school. You know, it's all in bright primary colours and there's giant squishy uh, toys in the entrance to the school. You know, a big giant blue coloured pencil and a uh, giant uh, yellow and red eraser. It looks like you can see it from the other end of the street that it's a kid's school. You walk a hundred yards up that street and you come to the Jewish school and it's like uh, it, it's it's like a prison. It's got these huge, great gates, impenetrable gates with barbed wire because some guy went bananas there uh, and uh, uh, killed the kids and all, the, and all the rest of it. Also in Toulouse, they had to consolidate all the synagogues into one remaining synagogue. It happened to be right behind... Uh, the hotel I was staying in, I think it was Mercure or something like that, a mid-market chain from the Sofitel group. And I'm standing there and I noticed that just behind the hotel was this thing with no windows and, uh, you know, just like this impenetrable granite walls and soldiers outside it. And so I assumed because it was soldiers that it was some sort of top secret military facility. So I asked the uh, copper and uh, he said, oh, no, it's the synagogue. And not the cop, he was a soldier, soldier with a machine gun. And I've been writing about this for years, for years and years and years. And the American attitude is tend to, ah, that's just those Euro pusses. It's not going to be like that here. Well, it is like that now. You know, John Podhoritz, he's another guy who's always been in favor of immigration. And um, he sudden, you know, he suddenly noticed that as a Jew, that he's being advised to stay in the attic and keep his head down. <laughs> and, uh, and he doesn't like it. And I don't, I don't blame him for not liking it, but it is the logical consequence of the, the transformation that has gone on in, 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 uh, it's not even about Palestinian. I mean, I, it's not even about the, the, the pro-Palestinian thing is irrelevant. I love that scene, whatever city it was on. They said, oh, you know this from the river and the sea. You've just spent 20 minutes jumping down in the, up and down the street chanting it, uh, little miss uh, white trusty fundy girl. Uh, do you know what, uh, what the river is they're referring to there? No, 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 they haven't any clue. I love this the way... <laughs> You know, I shouldn't really say that because I'm as interested in the history of uh, quote unquote Palestine as anybody. I done. I mean, I found it interesting. I read a few years ago these colonial office uh, documents in which they're all complaining that Jews, the the British uh, colonial administrators, are all complaining that Jews make absolutely hopeless colonial subjects because they just want to get on. They just want to irrigate the land, make it all fertile, grow stuff and get a great booming economy. So they don't want to just hang around uselessly. They transformed that land. They transformed Gaza until uh, the Gazans took over and then destroyed it all. Um, but but this this is the trouble. The twenty years, this anti-Semitism from ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, all over Europe, is now on the streets of New York, one of the most Jewish uh, cities 
in the world. Suzanne Rennie says, somehow it isn't surprising that Ava's appearance has been cancelled here in Canada. These days, the only suitable topics of discussion are things like the latest Harry and Megaliah book by their little sycophant Omid Scobie. Palestinians good, Israel not so much is another disgusting trope we hear on repeat. Trudeau is great, Polyev isn't also an approved tropic of discussion. Our views are being corralled into ever smaller spaces. Hang in there, Mark, we really appreciate you. Best to Ava as well. Yeah, the whole uh, last um, uh, uh, photocopier in the woods scenario, which is beginning to uh, drive me bonkers. Where is the, there's one more. Oh, Jack says, Mark, it's great that you are feeling better. I wouldn't say that. Actually, I'm pretty tuckered out right now. Um, are you going to do a Christmas mass show this year? I love the mass that you gave in 2021. Well, you call it uh, mass, uh, Jack. So I take it you're Catholic. I look on it more as uh, uh, being an Anglican, if you'll forgive the expression. Um, not an Anglican in the way of all these pro-palace, awful Archbishop of Canterbury and all this rubbish, but then the Pope's awful too. So Pope, Archbishop of Canterbury, I, I wouldn't give tuppence hapeth for either of them. But it's a kind of Anglican format, uh, lessons and carols, because I love the story. And I think on Christmas Eve, you should focus on the story. Anyway, Jack says, we've given up going to our local Christmas mass at church. The last straw was when our priest, who is both a priest and a visiting professor at Georgetown University, started pontificating during last year's Christmas mass on the virtues of environmentalism and how the church needs to adapt to the desires of modern young people. What a weak and naive thing to say. One of Jesus's core teachings was to reject the worship of Mother Earth. The church then spent, yeah, we are stewards of God's earth. We are not worshippers of it. The church then spent hundreds of years attempting to stamp out alternative religions, but now the church publicly advocates for the opposite, as if they will somehow recapture their lost moral authority by being the most cowardly coward in the room. It's pathetic. Your mass was a hundred times better. Please deliver us to the place of true moral clarity. Well, we do this uh, uh, on Christmas Eve. We can't do it at midnight for everyone, but it's basically the equivalent of a midnight service. Um, and it's, as I said, it's just lessons. It's the story. I love on Christmas Eve, you focus on Bethlehem. You focus on the story. And uh, we tell the story with scripture and uh, some of the old carols as uh, sung by uh, some of my dear friends. So it's, it's basically scripture and live music. It's the, one of the simplest formats I've ever done. Uh, but uh, I'm pleased to say that audiences love it and we will be doing it again this year, which is, uh, I think, uh, is, I'm, I'm very pleased about. And there'll be a lot of old friends and some new friends that you haven't yet met. Um, we've been marking the passing of Marley the Elephant, who died at the Manila Zoo yesterday. And we've been honouring her by playing a little elephant music. It's our new format. Uh, we can't leave this one out. It is from the film Hatari, 1962. Directed by Howard Hawke, starring John Wayne, Elsa Martinelli, Red Buttons. 
and um, it was filmed in what was then northern Tanganyika around Mount Meru near Arusha uh, where my darling daughter was just a couple of days ago which put me in mind of it. The film is mostly forgotten but not the music. Henry Mansing. friends. Uh, not sure how that wound up on the end, but I guess Henry Mancini was in such a groove, he had no idea how to wrap it all up. Baby Elephant Walk, one of the great instrumentals of the 1960s, and the 1960s was the golden age of great instrumentals. But did you know that one of the all-time greatest instrumentals has lyrics? Don't ask me why, and by a very distinguished lyricist too. Hal David, as in the look of love, I say a little prayer close to you. Sing it at boom. Make believe you're in a jungle movie. Watch the baby elephants go by. It's a brand new dance you ought to try Come to the jungle and see the animal attraction Baby, elephants in action for 
Baby Elephant Walk. In a challenging key. Stick with Stein Online. Laura's link's coming up tomorrow. Laura Rosen Cohen rounds up the internet as nobody else can. And don't leave it too late to snaffle up one of our limited edition Stein Online Liberty Sticks. They're going fast, and when they're gone, they're gone. Stay safe, stay free, stay well. If you plan on joining a safari, don't get dressed for going on a cruise. The thing to carry is an extra pair of pants and shoes. To the jungle and see the animal attacks you, baby. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.